take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been speaking about the pastor, the word that the Bible uses in this instance is bishop. Um, we've gotten away from using the word bishop really for one reason, because it's become uh, the connotation of this word um, leads us to thinking of the Catholic Church, the Episcopalian Church, or some other form of government um, that is outside the realm of Scripture. And uh, by the way, the, the form of government that, the God, that God has given the church is this, that each church is autonomous. That means that the local church has authority over what it says and believes. Um, that's us, right? By the way, that's not the pastor, that's the church. We have determined what what God says, and we, we say, well, this is what the Bible says, and therefore this is the way we're going to, to form our government. Um, our, our basis of government is, is by the church. And so um, I don't have the authority to be the pastor based upon a body of people outside the church. You have given me authority to be the pastor by you. You guys have, have decided that, and I praise the Lord, and... Uh, to, to be able to be um, pastor. Um, but that's, that's why, uh, back in the old days, they used to use that term for um, the pastor often, but, but not so much anymore. And, uh, and so, uh, he's often called the pastor, and many of you folks call me the pastor. By the way, I don't think anybody calls me reverend. I talked about that last week. Uh, you don't, please don't call me reverend, uh, which, again, means terrible. And uh, if you start calling me Reverend, I don't know why you do it. And uh, <laughs> But the Bible says only God is Reverend. Only God is terrible. What does that mean? That God is a God who's able to, who should be feared. He's a God that should be feared. What does that mean? You know, we, we've taken the word fear and we've, we've, got, we've led it to lead us to think that it simply means that we, we revere God. We think He's cool. We think He's great. We think He's awesome. We ought to think all those things about God, but we ought to have a true and sincere fear of what God is capable of doing if we disobey Him rankly and, and out, of, out of rebellion. And God is a merciful God, and He gives us great mercy. He often gives us an incredible time to repent and turn from the sins that we do before He does punish us. But God is capable to cause things to work out worse for us if we are in rebellion against Him. By the way, there's a, there is a difference in God's mind between sin of rebellion and sin of ignorance. Sometimes we sin and we don't know we're sinning. But many times we're sinning, we know it, and we say, God, I don't care. I like my sin more than I like you. And so to revere God is to say, you know what, God? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let your what you're capable of, keep me from going there. Man, that ought to keep you from looking at bad things. It should. Because you may find that first time you look, nothing happens, nobody sees you, but I promise you, as a man of God, if you are God's child, He will not let you continue in it. He will not. If God were to let you to continue to look at bad things on the Internet, if God were to continue to let you do that, I would tell you this. You're not a child of God. 
Because only those that aren't children of God would He let go with no consequence. And that's what God says in Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't believe me, look it up. But we ought to be, we ought to say, you know what, I don't want God's hand against me. I want God's hand for me. And so the pastor does not have that role. The pastor plays God. My role is not to, for you to be afraid of me and what, and disobeying me or, or any of that. That is not my role. And I don't seek to live my life or to pastor this church in such a way. God has called me to warn every man. And that's what I just did. That was my warning to you that God is capable of doing something if we continue to sin in a way that, that we know is sin. And uh, that, ought to, that ought to keep every person in here from starting a relationship with somebody at work that's illicit, that we shouldn't have. As soon as God begins to bring those feelers into our heart, this relationship is going too far. It's beginning to get too intimate. That ought to be our time where we say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to go, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to go there anymore. I've had to step back from relationships over the years, not because I was looking to have an affair against my wife, but because they were just getting to a place that I, I didn't feel comfortable with anymore. I said, I'm not going to let it go anywhere past, past that step before. You know? There are times that I worked in the bus ministry, and I had no, no problem picking up an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old girl and bringing her to church. And then she got to be 14 or 15, and I said, you know what? Let's, let's do this with somebody else. I'm not going to be in the car. I don't want it to go any further. And by the way, older gentlemen, I want you to know, this is very important. As you have an influence, and you ought to have influence in young little girls' lives, many times they will begin to see you in a way that they shouldn't see you. And you have to be man enough to say, you know what? I'm not going to let it go any further. We're going to go back because you're not my wife. You'll never be my wife. You'll never be anything more than the girl that I want to live for the Lord. Don't ever, may God help us to never let our lives become something that would lead someone away from the Lord rather than to Him. But I, I, believe, I believe that it's not my role to be the one who strikes fear in people. I don't believe that. I believe that God, that's God's role. I don't try to tell people what to do, but I will warn our congregation that there is consequence for sin. We live in a day where people don't like that. They don't like that at all. By the way, brethren, you can go to many churches where there's no mention of sins. There's no, there's no, Warning of what God is capable of. We, we're ju you just want to be able to go and hear how nice everything is and how good you are. But I don't find that in the Scripture. I find that, that God says, listen, I love you despite who you are. And I'm leading you to places that are upwards and onwards. And, and there are certain things that are in my life and in your life.
that God wants to refine and, and burn off and, and, and some things He wants to destroy and cause to be as far away from us as, as if they were never part of our life in, in the first place. By the way, did you know that if you're here today and there's something in your life that's part of your life that's a sin, God can so amazingly take care of that that a year from now, it will be like it was never part of your life at all. It would be as if if someone were to meet you and you were to tell them, yeah, I struggle with that sin. They'd be like, what? You do? But that's because God's grace is so incredible (laughs) that He can cause the things that are not good in our life to become as if they never were part of our life, even though at one point they were. And I praise God that that's true. I praise God that that's true. I've seen men who were in the, ensnared by pornography. A year later, it'd be like, if you were to say, yeah, that was me, but the, the people, they'd say, well, I, I, I don't believe you. That couldn't have been you. But it was. God, God worked through them and, and, and they'll tell you the steps they took. The, the, the getting rid of the iPads, the, the smartphones, the, the throwing away the computers or putting their computers in their, in their bedroom, um, all the things, and, and God, God works in their lives and, and just repairs so many things. By the way, I believe God can do that because I've seen Him do it. He repairs broken things. But the pastor, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, God tells us that He's given us the pastor and, and many others to be able to help us to come together in unity with God. Not unity with each other without God, but unity together with God in holiness and sincere love for Him. And, and I, I, I know that I'm not yet what I should be in any role of my life, including pastor. But I do see this is what my role is. And I praise the Lord to be able to be part of it and in it. And I praise God that, that I'm able to be here amongst the people of God. And I know we live in perilous days. And that is, we are, we have so many difficulties. There's so many things that are so vastly different than what they were 15, 20 years ago. There's no doubt. But we have a God that's greater than our age. Amen? We have a God who is greater than our age. And we can live for Him in a world that doesn't want us to. But there is one person that will do everything He can. Everything He can. To cut us off at the knees. To where we don't lose our salvation, but we become useless in this world for God. We become useless in this world for God. And that is the devil. The devil is real, brethren. He's not a figment of some man's imagination. He's not an astral entity that, that really doesn't exist. It's just a, the devil is, is not a, he's not a, a word that is synonymous with evil. In other words, when we talk about the devil, we're just talking about how there's evil in the world. So many people see the devil as that. It's just kind of the way we define 
evil in the world. As if he's not real, it's just kind of the word we use when bad things happen. And bad people do bad things. No, brethren, the devil is real. And he is working. And if you'd let me use this expression, I believe he is working overtime. And I believe as he sees the day approaching, that he is working harder than he ever has to destroy anything and everything that God wants to do in the world. I want you to know, no matter what the devil may do in this world to destroy things, whatever the devil may do in this world to destroy things, God will not lose. And everything will be made exactly as God sees it. By the way, always remember that. When you see things happening in this world, and you see things that happen in people's lives, and people do things that hurt you, or circumstances bring you down, I want to remind you, and you remind me, God wins. Amen? God wins. And if we're saved, we're part of His family, we're on His side. He's not against us. He's for us. He's for us. And though each one of us is God's children, again in Hebrews chapter 13, He will bring punishment to our lives because everyone He loves, He punishes. For our own good, just as your daddy did when you did bad, He might punish you. My dad did. My dad gave me a choice one time. You want the belt or you mean to take away TV? I said, Dad, give me the belt. He must have thought, no, no, no. That's wrong. It's not what you're supposed to say. But he gave me the belt. I don't think I ever did whatever I did that anymore. My mom washed my mouth out with soap. I spent weeks in my room sometimes. But I promise you it wasn't because I, they hated me. It's because they loved me. The devil does what he does because he hates you. He does what he does because he hates you. He hates you. He hates you. He hates God. He hates you. And so if you look there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says about the pastor, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, I'd like you to mark that phrase in both verses, of the devil. You see, when God said those words, he was not speaking them as if the devil were a figment of our imagination, but one that is working his work to destroy. And I want you to know, and this, this is by no means at all proud, because I know the great danger, at least in, in part. But if the devil can make a mockery of God's pastor, of the pastor in the pulpit, he can make a mockery of that church in the community. And if he can make a mockery of that church in the community, he can take dozens and dozens of people 
and make them unable to lead people to Christ, to make disciples, because they're a mockery before the community. And by the way, the devil has done that. He's done that in churches that are small, that nobody cares. No man cares except that community. And they say, you see, those Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And if they can get the pastor to do that, they can say that about Christianity as a whole. You see? He's done that to churches of tens of thousands of people. He's gotten all of America for a week saying, you see, Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Because the devil wants to destroy and he will do whatever he can. If there's anything I'd I'd ask you to do and plead with you for is that you would pray for me and my family. I praise the Lord for His hedge of protection. In so many ways, has hedged me and my home. And I don't know why that is, except that God loves me. He loves you too, and He wants to put a hedge about you. But the devil is like a roaring lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If our church ceases to pray for one another and for her pastor, we are leaving us open to the devouring mouth of that great lion. If we get to the place where we say, I'm not going to pray anymore, we are leaving ourselves in a place that is very dangerous. It would be like going into the Serengeti and setting up a tent and saying, I dare you to come and eat me. I don't want to do that. But that's kind of where we live. Because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I believe our prayers, our prayers put walls of protection about us. So I plead with you to pray for me and I'm praying for you. Don't just pray for me. Pray for us. If you hear someone's going through a trial, pray for them. If you hear someone has something going on really good, and it seems like everything's great, pray for them. Because as soon as we begin to say, that's because of me. I'm so good, you know. That's a dangerous place because nothing good happens without God. And pride leads to destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And so the devil is real. He is as real in my life and and he is as real in your life as he is in my life. And today, if he can get a hold of you, he will seek to. And so before we go into this, let's go through, we're going to go very quickly, but I want you to start Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want you to notice this devil. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Understand, the devil tempts. What does he tempt us to do? 
He tempts us to sin against our God. He will do whatever He can to get us to sin against our God. He tried to do that with Jesus. How successful was it? If He's willing to try to tempt Jesus and found no success, what do you think He's going to do? He's going to come after us if He can. The devil will tempt us. What is temptation? Temptation is not sin. Temptation is the suggestion to sin. And I want you to know, when things are going bad, the devil will give us a temptation to get out of that bad situation the wrong way. To do it in a way that God does not want us to. And when things are going good, the devil will tempt us to keep those good things going no matter what. He'll tempt us to sin. You know who does most of the extortion? Most of the the lying and cheating and stealing when it comes to money? You know who really goes to jail and gets caught with it all? Interestingly enough, it's people that got money. They had money already. But they're stealing more. Bernie Madoff had, had money. He had houses. He had all, all kinds of stuff. He wanted more. And so sometimes when things are going good, the devil will say, listen, you need to keep this good going. And you need to do this in order to keep it. The devil tempts. He will do what he can to tempt us. He'll tempt us in our workplaces. He'll tempt us in our churches, if he can. He will tempt us in our homes. He will give us a suggestion to sin. Now, God tells us that where the devil tempts, he always gives the way of escape. He always gives the way of escape. There is always a way out of the temptation. We do not have to do it the devil's way. That's what God means by that. We don't have to do it the devil's way. And so, if, if ever we come to this place and we say, I have to sin, is it true? No. If we live by faith, we can get out. God gives us a way. In Matthew chapter 13, in Matthew chapter 13, the Bible tells us in verse 38, Jesus is explaining the parable of the tares. Tares are weeds that are, are sown into good seed. In verse 37, he answered and said to them, He that sowed good seed is the Son of Man. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus sows good seed. That's the seed of the Gospel and the seed of the truth of the Word of God. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. And so who's that? Who's the good seed? People who are saved. But the tares are the, are the children of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? The devil. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. And so God is telling us that the devil sows tares. He sows tares. In other words, the devil will use people to try to get us away from God. 
Did you know that? And there's sometimes people that seem like they're good seed, but in fact they're tares. They're weeds. They're bad seed. How do we know that? Well, the Scripture tells us you'll know them by their fruits. You see, if they have no good to, no, nothing really good to say about Jesus and who He really is, you see, Jesus is perfect. If they don't like to talk about the perfect Jesus, if they want to talk about the man Jesus, as if that man were not perfect, by the way, Jesus as a man was a perfect man and is a perfect man. He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet was without sin. But some people, they call themselves Christians, but they talk about Jesus as if He were just a man. I want you to know, He was not, he was not and is not just a man. He is God. And those same people make a mockery of who God is, of who Jesus is. But they sound good, and so they will lead us if we're not careful, into the devil's trap. The devil sows tares, and some of those tares, I mean all of those tares are people. They're people. Brethren, I'd I'd plead with you to be careful. We live in an age of 7 billion people. I want to ask you, are most of them good seed or tares? Yes, that's Jesus said that. He said the way of the destruction is wide. And so there's more people that don't know and love the Lord Jesus Christ than do. And so just because they say they love Jesus doesn't mean they are. They do. And so be careful. And you can tell if they are true or not based upon what the Bible says. Because if they are contradicting God's Word, and, they're, they're, and especially when it comes to the Gospel, that Jesus Christ, the, the God of all creation, came and died on the cross for our sin. They're not, they're not good. They're tares. And the devil sent them. And so the devil will tempt. And guess what? God, God, the devil will use people to tempt us. Matthew 25, listen. The devil is real. And he's seeking whom he may devour. The scripture says in verse 41, Then shall he say unto them, This is God, on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There is a place prepared for the devil and those that followed him out of heaven. That is the place that we called hell. Jesus here calls it the place of everlasting fire. Who did God prepare that place for? I want you to know something. We think of the devil as being in hell right now. So many people think that. Bugs Bunny, when he gets thrown in hell, there's the devil with his pitchfork, right? When Wiley E. Coyote gets thrown in hell, there's the devil with his pitchfork. That little imp. I want you to know, the devil's not a little red guy in hell. He is the most powerful angel that God created. And his great desire is to destroy everything that God has made. He thinks he's done a good job with this world. But the devil has a place prepared. 
It's a place of everlasting fire. And those that refuse Christ have a place there too. But it wasn't prepared for them. It was prepared for the devil. But the devil wants to get as many people there as possible. And if he can cut us down, it may just be that he can keep a few more. The devil is going to a place, a terrible place. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. The Scripture says in verse 38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What does the devil do? The devil oppresses. The devil oppresses. That word comes from the same type of word that we have for depresses. The word oppressed means to squish down. To squish down. The devil wants to squish us down. To we become nothing more than something to be walked over. To be, to be peeled off your shoe like a piece of gum on the street. That's the devil, what the devil wants to do to us. By the way, that's what he wants to do to us. He wants to make us like a piece of chewed up gum on the street. That is nothing good except to be peeled off your shoe when you step on it. That's what the idea of oppression means. To be, to be enslaved and ensnared. To be unable to get out. But guess what Jesus does? He came. And he, he died for our sin to take us out of that oppression. If you are saved today, you are not under the oppression of the devil anymore. You are in the freedom of Jesus Christ who has made you free. Amen? He's died and made you free. But the devil oppresses. Don't forget that. He hates you. And he'll do whatever he can to squish you down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what are we? We're earthen vessels. We have a treasure within us. Listen to what it says. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down or oppressed, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the Lord Jesus, the body of the uh, about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He is the one who takes us out of oppression, brethren. If you are feeling squished down today, run to Jesus. You may be cast down, but you are not destroyed. He is good. Amen? The devil can be resisted. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Now listen to what the Bible says. We often will quote the second half of the verse. 
But we forget the first half. The second half, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That makes it seem like we are lion hunters. As if the lion is the one who, he's been coming into the villages in Africa. He's been taking the babies and the children. He's been destroying them. And you are the hero with your lion gun. And you've come and you've said, I've got my lion gun. And we're going to resist this lion. You just wait because I'm here. That's what it, that's what this verse seems to be saying if we read it out of context. But that's not at all it. You see, the first part says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he shall flee. Listen. The devil wants to do whatever he can to cut you down. How do we resist the devil? We run to our hero, and that's Jesus. He is going to tell us what to do. Our problem is that we don't submit to what he says. We're dealing with some sin. God says, I've got the solution. This is what you do. You say, but God, that's just too hard. I I don't know about that. I, I don't think I can do that. Is there something else I could do? And you come up with something yourself. You say, I I know sin's bad, and so, God, I know what you have to say, but that's too hard. I've got something better. I'm going to do this. Guess what? Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You see, when you begin to pray, I believe God speaks. You begin to say, God, I am struggling with this. I am struggling with this. And so please, help me. Guess what? God hears our pleas. He is a great God who will answer us. And by the way, I think when we're dealing with sin, He's not going to wait for a year to tell us. We're going to begin to pray. He's going to say, I've got it. This is what you do. But if we're not careful, that's when the bargaining with God begins. But God's way is always the best way. Amen? You see, when God begins to speak to you, He's saying, this is what I want you to do. And the blessings are in the doing of it. The resisting of the devil is doing what God says. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In 1 John, God tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means not us, but God. He dwells within us. That's 1 John 4.4. Which then brings us, and we'll go quickly, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Scripture says that the pastor ought not be a novice. He says, not a novice. That word novice means a neophyte. One who has just begun. One who has not learned. I was talking today in Sunday school. We live in a world that gives so much credence 
to neophytes. We say because they're young, they know. It used to be because they're old, they know. I believe that we ought to go to the one who's ancient because he does know. And that's the ancient of days, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able. Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. He didn't begin his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. To put that in perspective, people in those days usually did not live past 50. Jesus did not live past 33. And so at the point of Jesus, Jesus was at middle age at 30. But the truth is, is that the Bible tells us that He will give us small responsibilities. And if we're willing to faithfully take care of those small responsibilities, He will give us bigger responsibilities. And if we're willing to take care of those that are bigger, He'll give us bigger responsibilities. But if a person is just saved and they say, I want to take on the responsibility of being a pastor, that is very unwise. God tells us why. When I started uh, working at Naughty Oak and training for the ministry, the first thing I did was I had the responsibility of cutting out a terrible, nasty, unruly bush. That was my job. And I spent a whole week. I mean, and, and Pastor Chris, I mean, he could have given us a chainsaw to cut it down. He gave us a hoe. He said, I just want you to go and get that bush out. Here's a hoe. Here's a shovel. Go to town. And it took a week. Pastor, we go in in the morning. Nine o'clock, we'd pray. Pastor, what do you got for me? Well, there's that bush out there. Why don't you go at it? And I don't know if he was doing it on purpose. Maybe, I don't know. He was thinking this is going to build character. Let's just see if he'll do it. I'm not sure. But I said, well, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. By the way, I found a great principle to live by is this. Be willing to do whatever someone who's in authority asks you to do. Because if they ask you to do it, it just may be that it's God that's asking you to do it. Even if it seems small and insignificant, God's able to see it. The only time I find myself to say, you know, I don't want to do that when somebody who's an authority over me asks me to do it is if they're asking me to sin against God. Then he asked me to preach at the nursing home. I thought to myself, that's so insignificant. Still preaching at the nursing home. A lot of times the messages I'll preach here, I preach to them first. At least if they remember, they, they, if they remember the mistakes I make, well, they aren't going to remember for long. And it's true. And they've been so gracious. You know why I go to the nursing home? It's because they pray for me. When I say, hey, would you pray for me? They say, I'll pray for you. You know what they do? They pray for me. Some of the people I knew prayed for me the most were the folks that were at the nursing home. There are people that I can't wait to see again. Can't wait to see again. I can't wait to see Ida again. I really can't. She was so precious. Got saved in the nursing home. But God doesn't want a neophyte because pride 
will be the destruction that the devil brings, the condemnation. He will do that. He will condemn because pride, Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I want you to know, no matter how old a pastor is, they can have pride. And when pride comes, it can destroy. But it certainly can come in the youth of our age. And we live in such a proud era, don't we? You think of the college students and what they think they can get away with and do. They literally dictate to the authorities what they're going to do. And the authorities say, yes, that's what we'll do if you don't. If you want to save someone when nobody tells you anything, if you don't want to go, we'll kick them off the school. It's ridiculous. My goodness, how about that being the opposite of what college should be all about? But such pride in our youth. And then lastly, the Scripture says, moreover they must have a good report with them which are without. Did you know the pastor's character ought to be the same outside of the pulpit as it is in? And do you know how you find that out? Not by what the people in the church say, but by what the people outside the church say. He says they've got to have a good report of them with that or without. Now, some may say, well, that guy's no good because he talks about Jesus all the time. Well, that's good, right? But when they say, you know, that's, that guy's no good. Every time I see him out in the yard with his kids, he's yelling and screaming and kicking them and, and, and all that. And, and that, I, that, that would be bad, right? That, that, that guy, he may seem good in the, in the pulpit, but man, he beats his wife. That's no good. Man, that guy, he seems good in the pulpit, but, but when it comes to, to doing what he said he would do for me, he, he constantly is reliving. That's not good. The pastor ought to have a good report because his character is the same in the pulpit as it is out. By the way, if the character is, is different in the pulpit as it is outside the pulpit, guess where the character is? Is it in the pulpit or outside the pulpit? Who is he really? He's the guy outside the pulpit. Because the Bible says that will lead to a snare. It will lead to reproach and a snare. So may God help us, amen, to be a people who understand the reality of the devil. And I plead with you again, pray for me. Amen? Pray for me. And I'll pray for you. Let's bow our heads.